0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the MTG Goldfish podcast, episode 43. The crew is here in attendance, and we are joined by guest Tomer, a MTG Goldfish writer who specializes in commanders. So we're going to be talking about commander stuff, and Tomer is going to be giving us his expertise on the format. So welcome to the
1: cast, Tomer. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, uh,
0: anytime. It's it's good to have uh, some fellow MTG Goldfish people on here. As always, the crew is here. Richard, how's it going?
2: Hey guys, what's going on?
0: What is up? Seth, what's up? What is up, guys? So, on today's episode docket, we are going to be diving into the full Commander spoiler with the help of Tomer here to help us break down and analyze the new Commander product. Uh, we talked a, a little bit about it last week, but we wanted to really kind of get, uh, more in depth. We're going to talk a little bit about the GP, uh, Seattle. Richard, you were in attendance, right?
2: Yes, I scrubbed out very quickly. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, you,
0: <laughs> so we will get your, uh, thoughts on GP Seattle. Um, it was a legacy tournament, very big, uh, viewership on Twitch, a good turnout, about 2,000 players. So Richard's going to cover the GP. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit of financial stuff, so Seth and myself are going to talk about that and everyone else on the cast. And we have some fish mail to talk about. So, yeah, uh, let's just dive into the Commander product. Uh, let me start off uh, asking Tomer. So, again, thanks for coming on the show. Uh, so my first question, I guess, to start it off is, How do you sit down and go through a new Commander product? This is kind of like the big release for the year in terms of, I mean, we get sets every year, but this is specifically tailored to Commander, and I I just want to kind of get your thoughts on how you sit down and evaluate these cards and and, and determine, like, this is going to be a good card in Commander, this is going
1: to be a format-defining card, so take it away. Uh, Yeah, well... When I'm looking at the cards, I usually don't really care about the power or toughness of the cards. <laughs> usually, when there's like when, when there's like a five-five creature that comes out on like two mana, it would be great for standard, I would think maybe if it if it uh, has like evasion or flying or stuff like that. But that doesn't really interest me at all. I really care more about, like, the synergies that happen with the cards. Like, if, if the card has, like, double strike, but also draws a card each time, that really increases the value as opposed to being, like, a double strike 5-5. Five five. So certain cards, if they lend themselves to synergies or combos, I'm usually a lot more interested in that than just raw stats, I would say. Um, yeah, uh, a lot of the legendary creatures I would look at first, like Azuri Claw Progress, I find a lot more interesting giving all creatures plus one, plus one counters over, like, Calemni? I don't don't know how to say her name. She's just like a a 3-3 double strike. So I would much rather, like, look at Azuri as a really prominent new card over just a 3-3 double striker.
0: Hmm. All right, interesting. And you're—so this is how you sit down and evaluate more so the creatures. Um, Yeah. So you're you're looking at you know not necessarily base power and toughness. You're just looking at how it interacts with other cards in the format, rather than all right, this is like a three mana ten ten or something yeah, like that. Basically, so I'm that makes at, sense.
1: Yeah, basically, I'm looking at how easily can you break this card?
0: Like, <laughs> okay.
1: What are, what are the synergies? What are the combos? What craziness can you do with it? And and like some of them have really high ceilings. Um, like Mizzix of the is Magnus giving all your uh, instant sorcerers massive uh, cost reductions. You can do, do like crazy things with that. Over something like Anya, the Merciless Angel, which is just a giant flying indestructible creature, which is nice, but there's only so much you can do with that, right? Yeah.
0: So I started off. I'll go around uh, the the crew here to to ask questions. Seth, uh, go ahead, and then we can move on to a question from Richard too.
3: Alright, well, I might know the answer to this based on what you just said, but for me, someone who doesn't really play Commander, when I see the Myriad ability, it looks just broken, because you can potentially get so much power and toughness for such a cheap price. Does that excite you as a Commander player, or does that fall into, it's just a really big dude that doesn't really do anything cool or broken, so it's not that great?
1: I love that you brought that up because that is definitely my favorite new mechanic that I've seen in a long, long time. I think it just has so much potential for really fun, insane plays. Um, there's a lot of cards that deal with sacrifice outlets, like Sacrifice Matters. Um, so you can say something like Banshee of the Dread Choir, which has Myriad on it, uh, makes extra tokens of itself. In a typical four-player free-for-all, that means if you're swinging at an opponent's you're going to get two additional copies of it, which is already good. You're hitting for 12 and you're also making a, a person discard three cards off that just by that. But if you actually use the tokens for other things, if you sacrifice it to like uh, like a, a Nantuka Husk type card, then you're getting so much extra value.
3: It seems pretty sweet. You mentioned like sacrifice outlets like with Grave Pact or something like that. Like it seems yeah. like you can really get a lot of value out of those tokens if you build your deck around it a little bit.
1: Yeah, absolutely. There's cards that matter, like sacrifice matters. There's cards that, um, care about how many creatures you bring in. Uh, oh, one of them I was, I was thinking about was Warchief Giant. You can put that in a poor forest deck where every single time a creature enters the battlefield, Perforce does two damage to each opponent. So if you have Warchief Giant, each time he's swinging, he's bringing in at least two tokens in like your typical four player match. So that's an additional, uh, six, uh, four damage. Just there to each opponent. So it gets pretty crazy pretty fast. And the craziest one of all of them is definitely the new equipment, Blade of Cells, where you get any creature you equip Myriad. And that just gets crazy because there's a lot of really insane enter the battlefield effects that you can do with it. Like uh, you equip it on Sun Titan, then you get back potentially like three things instead of one thing. Or you could put it like on a Primordial and just it, it gets bonkers. Yeah, is there I, I ch- heard a lot of talk about that card. Go ahead, Seth. Is
3: is there any chance that card's
1: too good for
3: Commander? Like, <laughs> with the cards you mentioned, and, like, Kamigawa Dragons, and it seems like there's some yeah. really <laughs> broken combos with that card.
1: I, I think that card's uh, very borderline. I think... I don't know. I, I feel like maybe it should have been tested a bit more before it was released. <laughs> <laughs> just because, yeah, the cost, it's six mana just to start it off. And if you compare it to like other staples in the format, like rights of replication, where you can kick it to make, I think like four tokens, this is a repeatable en- engine for starting at six mana. And it, it gets really crazy really fast. I recently did a, a budget deck on Reaper King which is whenever you play another, his, his ability is whenever you play another Scarecrow, um, you can vindicate something. So, and he's a legendary creature, so you can equip Blade of Cells on him, swing at, at a creature, and then you can vindicate two times. Just each time you're swinging, it gets insane. Yeah, that's crazy.
0: Is that something that, like, immediately
1: draws attention as to this is probably something that's going to get banned? Uh, I think that's one of the most talked about cards for sure. Um, When I was looking over the MTG Salvation forums and Reddit, um, that's definitely like top of the list, especially because it fits in basically any deck. This is an artifact. Uh, I don't know if it's going to get banned, but I do think it is probably the most abusable card in the set and I think it's going to be also the most played card in the set, just because it fits everywhere. Right. But I, I don't know if it will get banned. We'll just have to see how oppressive, how oppressive it is.
0: Uh, Richard, did you want to say something? Shifting topics.
2: How It's, it's hard to say because we haven't actually played with any of the decks, but what do you feel the power level of the set is compared to uh, last year's Commander product or the yeah. year before? Like, Would it be wise to have a play group with people mixing pre or is it just going to be absurdly... Uh, one-sided.
1: Great question. Yeah, I think that's really interesting because um, I was looking at some of the past deck lists, and I have to say this is probably one of the best-designed sets. I know Seth mentioned it as well in his article, and I totally agree. Just the way it was designed in terms of playability and accessibility is the best I've ever seen. Um, each year they've been doing a gradual improvement. But if you compare this set to like the original format, I think the original set, I think that was 2012. Um, some of those decks are just downright unplayable. Like when I started commander, I picked up uh, the Zedru deck, the Zedru preconstructed that um, political puppets, and she's a really mana hungry general. And not only does the deck have like a lot of just bad cards, it only had 34 lands and like a couple artifact ramps. So I was struggling to even cast spells. So like the original said, <laughs> I would not recommend to anybody to, to pick up and go because the generals are really strong and they're really cool, but the decks themselves have just like crappy cards, dragon whelps, and just like razor jaw onis, just bad things you just don't want to see when you draw. Whereas um, a set like this, every single card I find really interesting. There's like a couple stinkers, but overall just there's the right amount of lands, there's the right amount of ramp, there's a huge amount of synergy, and just the cards are really, really interesting. So I would really recommend anybody who's looking to jump into commander to do with this one um last year's set also i thought was really good but this one i like even more yeah it's interesting you say that tomer because we've mentioned this on the
0: previous cast like this is coming from someone that has not played edh in like quite some time i don't really follow the format uh it definitely felt like they really hit their stride with this product and you know as we look back on the previous products you know, you know. Over the years, it definitely seems like they they got it down this time. They they really designed these cards well. And like you said, the, the first round of Commander was strong in terms of they made really good commanders like Kalia and Mimeoplasm, stuff like that. But they didn't really have good cards in them to complement that. It seems like now that they've really struck the balance of making good commanders that are you know well designed you know maybe they're not as strong as the original like Kalia or something like that but they also complemented these cards with other good cards like the the confluences the modal spells Mm -hmm. uh some of the even the uncommons like right of the raging storm or stuff stuff like that they it just seems like they really hit their stride with this one and even from last year's where you have you know they kind of they made these cool cards, right? And they made these planeswalkers that are also um, commanders, but there's only so much you can do with one color in EDH, right? Like it, it kind of shot themselves in the foot a little bit while on that one, but this just seems like they really went above and beyond uh, designing these cards and uh, complementing those cards.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. Um, when you mentioned the last set, the only set, uh, the only deck from that set that I really enjoyed was, um, the mono red artifact deck, just because it focused on a, yeah. a certain theme. The synergies was really cool. It was really fun to play. But like, as you said, the other decks were not that interesting. Like the, the green deck had like an elf sub theme, but it doesn't really, it was, more right. just a smash of good cards. The, the blue deck was like a mono blue fatty deck where it was a big ramp. And that's kind of interesting, but at the same time, it just—it right. didn't yeah. come together as well. I don't think they're very playable, but they're not as exciting as these decks because of just like the the theme, the the, the synergies that they have with them is really interesting. I just find um, each one has like a very set thing that they want to be doing. Like the Daxos deck, the the white black deck is heavily into enchantments, which. You just you don't see much before. I think they they teased at it in like a course set recently. I think was it was it origins uh, where white black was like the enchantment set. Yeah. But yeah, now they've actually really really brought it all together and it looks great. I would say and just some of the the cars are completely blow me away. When I look at it, I get so excited just to see where you can put it in. Like Mizic's mastery. I, I don't know a single person who read that card and doesn't get super excited to try it out. You yeah. to exile all the instants and sorceries from your graveyard and play them for free. That's insane. It's crazy. Yeah.
0: So aside from Seth's initial uh, um, evaluation of uh, if this card is seven plus mana, it must be good. Um, <laughs> what What are some of the defining cards in this set? Like, what are some of the cards that you can see are going to be a uh like a a really essential part of EDH and a cornerstone card in this format going forward. I mean there there's a few cards I mean I can even just off the top see like a card like Grasp of Fate, which is strictly just better than an Oblivion ring or mm-hmm. a a banishing light or whatever you want to use. Mm-hmm. Um so I can identify those cards, but like when when I start looking at other cards I'm like I, I kinda get a little lost. Mm-hmm. So can you kind of, you know, fill us in on that?
1: Yeah, well, I think just the great design about this, again, is that there aren't too many crazy staples, which I think is, is bad design. If a card just shows up in every single deck and is an auto-include, I think that kind of takes away the diversity of the format. So I, I like that they they made a conscious effort this time to not do that as much. Um, but, yeah, if, if one card would be format-defining, it would be um, that equipment again, the Blade right. of elves. But other than um, that, each one, there's a lot of cards that could show up in certain um, deck archetypes, which will be really fun. Yeah, it's uh, interesting you said that. Uh, so, like, you're not looking
0: for... It, that's so weird because, like, you know, Seth like, and Richard, my, myself, we're all always kind of cluing in on new sets and, like, what's going to be constructed, what's going to be that new four of card across multiple archetypes you're not really looking for that you're more just looking for a lot of role players is that is that kind of correct like you know a card like mystic confluence right it's a strong card but maybe not every single blue deck is going to want to play that card Mm -hmm. i mean i don't know maybe it might but just using that as an example
1: yeah i I, i'm looking for just uh cards that kind of fulfill a certain niche in, in, yeah. uh, EDH. Not, not actual staples that you'll just jam into everything without thinking about it, but just stuff that opens up archetypes that previously didn't have enough support. Like the life gain decks, for example. They're not the greatest, but when you have Karlov, that's a huge boost forward, and maybe you'll see a little bit more life gain decks from that. Or, um, m- my personal favorite is the Snake Wizard. Casito, yeah. I have a soft spot for snakes. I know, I know, it's a very <laughs> popular archetype, but just nobody gets to play it much because there's just Kamigawa snakes, and that's basically yeah. it. But when you're getting like when you're throwing us a bone with Casito, now you're opening us up to blue snakes, and they even added a, a blue snake uh broodbirth viper. That's actually very good. Um So now we could maybe see that deck show up. So it's adding a lot of diversity to the format, which I really enjoy. It's, it's what draws me to the format in general.
0: Yeah. Before we move on, um, and I'll give Seth and Richard, you know, another chance to ask a question. Um, so my kind of last question on this is how would you evaluate the actual generals or, you know, commanders here? Because I, you know, when I talk to people who are, you know, invested in this format and really follow this format, apparently there's like a difference between a card that you want as a general and just a quote unquote 99 card. So like, I'll use an example. I, you know, I was, I was talking to people. Anya, the, the angel is more of a card that you might want, not want to use as a commander, but is a great card to just have in your deck
1: list. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess it just depends, uh, which cards are more essential that you'll need to build around. Like, hm, Mizzix, for example, um, when you, when you want to do an instant or sorceries matters uh, type deck in is it you basically have two real options Melek, um who basically gets to double the instant sorceries you cast off the top of your library or Mizics. and then you just want to choose which one would you want more often to cast I, I think hmm. it comes down to that really so right. for for me for example I think Mizics is is far superior to Melik so. I would be swapping out Melek, but I would be putting him into my 99 now. Gotcha. Um, and then there's some generals where you're just using them for the color, really. Like, Casito I don't think, is the best, like, snake lord. I think um, there's one that lets you draw cards whenever a snake deals damage to a player. I would much prefer having that one as my general. I think his name is Sashiro. But yep, he's yeah, he's no, mono green. So because he's only gives me access to green spells, I'm I'd much rather use Casito as my general. So gotcha. it depends on like what colors you want to be using and just which is the more powerful card that you want to have access to at any point.
0: Awesome, uh, Seth Richard. Just kind of last uh, questions before we move on.
1: Uh, I have one more. Oh, oh, oh go, go ahead,
3: ahead Richard.
2: <clears throat> uh, I just had a, a random question, uh, which I don't know if we know the answer to. Uh, when is this available at Magic Online and are these cards part of the Legendary Cube prizes?
1: Uh, do we because
2: I, I, <laughs> I know there's usually some like weird lag between paper and Magic Online and it's
3: All right. especially
2: worse for supplementals.
3: Yes, here's the deal with Commander 2015 on Magic Online. They are not selling commander decks in the store anymore because apparently they were not very popular. So the only way you can get these cards is by the packs, the prize packs that come with Legendary Cube, which starts, I believe, the a, a next Wednesday it'll be once the podcast is up. So that's the only way these cards are entering the system is in those prize packs.
0: Yay. <laughs> that's, that seems like a lot
1: worse of a way to get access to these cards. All right, then yeah. I have a question. <laughs> why does it why does it matter if they're not selling that many packs in the in the store? Like, what does it cost them to just sell those packs anyway? <sighs> that, that is a good <laughs> question. I mean, uh, yeah,
2: it literally I, with, costs zero to put it in <laughs>
0: yeah, like the store.
1: has a cost of product server yeah. space, I guess. But like, I don't know. How much profit do you need to make off digital cards before it's worthwhile to do so? I don't. Well, yeah.
3: they are, have
2: are re- you gonna play? Are you gonna play the event just to get commander cards? It's possible that it's more profitable to kind of force commander players to play in those events just to get the cards, rather than you know it's kind of like an opportunity cost for uh, for yeah. selling in the store. It
3: Makes a lot and, of sense. And we look. just saw this with them deleting a bunch of fairly popular formats that made up a very small percentage of games, but um, standard popper, for example, two-headed giant. Like these formats only made up maybe one percent of the games according to Wizards, but they don't really cost anything to just let sit there and give people the option to play them if they want to. But what they figure, I guess, from their announcement is they want to kind of shepherd people into certain formats. They're like staple formats, standard modern legacy limited because those are their most profitable events so they don't want people to have the option to play standard pauper even if only a tiny bit of people are playing that because they figure if that option's gone those people will be forced to buy a standard deck or a modern deck or pay to join a draft so i think it's kind of what you were saying richard that there is some opportunity cost to leaving these choices i don't agree with that line of reasoning but i think from wizard's perspective that's why they are doing these things it's so deviant doesn't make doesn't make a lot of sense to me, but <laughs>
2: magic online and making sense. <laughs> yeah, because
0: I don't I don't uh, use uh, Magic Online as much as you guys, but yeah, I mean
2: it's a great question. Uh, I have a question I, for uh, uh, Just one more Seth. Let me jump. Yeah, in. yeah, go ahead. How is Magic Online and Commander? Like realistically, if I were to play Commander, it'd probably be via Magic Online. Like how how is that experience?
1: Um, you get used to it. <laughs> <laughs> is it significantly
2: worse than, you know, playing standard on Magic Online?
1: No. Well, like the the biggest draw about Commander Online is when you get the cards, it's free to play, right? And I find the experience really enjoyable. So there's a couple tricks you have to learn to make sure that uh, you can handle a multiplayer game on the screen. Just so because it gets really crowded. So, a couple tricks for anybody who's listening that wants to play Magic Online and do Commander Online. Um, Don't play more than four players, or else the screens get really smushed together and you can't read anything. And once a player gets eliminated, you can actually kind of uh, click their screens, minimize their screen. So, it gives you a little bit more uh, space to to read cards and stuff. Um, Otherwise, yeah, my only complaint with Magic Online uh, Commander is uh that the screen space is really, really small and, and squished together. So, yeah. like, just the more people you have, the worse it gets.
0: <laughs> or you could but, just go
1: out there and buy yourself, like, a 4K reso
0: <laughs> monitor
1: and <yeah. laughs> dual screen it, and you're good. <laughs> Specifically for multiplayer online. To, like, online, yeah, day. you're going
0: deep. Going yeah. deep on uh MTGO <laughs> <laughs> Commander right here.
1: I, I would say, though, it's a really fun experience. Um The fact that you can just start up a game, it takes me maybe two minutes maximum, if it's like a a load time, to start up a four-player game. So you can play it whenever you want. Uh, The meta, I would say, is semi-casual. I was playtesting an upcoming budget deck that runs a lot of mass land destruction and people would just concede as soon as they saw Armageddon or something. (laughs) So there's certain tactics that... You're that uh, guy, huh? Hey, a win's a win, right? (laughs) I guess, yeah. No, no. Well, yeah. It was just a one-time thing. Usually I I stray away from that, but um, there's certain tactics that are frowned upon, and as soon as you learn that, then, yeah, you can jump in and it should be very, very enjoyable. Yeah, I think...
2: I'm actually going to do it. I know I've been telling you this for, like, probably years now.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm going to grab a budget budget Commander deck and take it for a spin online because I, I think this is the pushing point because I see all these cool cards, and I'm like, I want to play them, but I have nowhere to play them. If so
1: you yeah. make the answer to play will be the next budget deck. <laughs> yeah. So and I, I think that's it. I,
3: uh, yeah. awesome. I got to say, too, I don't play Commander on Magic Online, but I know the market pretty well. And these decks have to be dirt cheap compared to what you'd play in paper. Like, dual lands are so cheap. Uh, Expensive commander staples, which are like old paper cards that have limited supply and end up being really expensive in paper, are worth like next to nothing on Magic Online because casual just isn't a big thing on there. So Mm -hmm. I'm guessing you can put together really powerful commander decks for a tenth of the cost of what you would pay to put that deck together in paper.
1: Yeah, it's insane. When I'm when I'm trying to do a budget deck, I struggle to get under the fifty dollar mark for the actual cardboard version. But when I make the online version, I can swap out just like kind of mediocre ramp cards from mana crypt. Or if I I, I did a mono red deck recently and I wanted Gauntlet of Might, which is like a three hundred dollar card, um, just if you want to buy the physical version. And then online, it's like. 0.37 of a ticks or something like that. So I'm making like seven dollar like super powerhouse uh, decks, but they're budget because it's online. Uh, yeah, it gets it gets really ridiculous when you're doing like turn one mana crypt solve and go or something like that. <laughs>
3: Uh, well, I had one more question, and this one's about a specific card. Um, I left out Command Beacon from my little finance review article, mm-hmm. and that's a card a lot of people brought up and said, why didn't you talk about Command Beacon? And I don't know enough c- about Commander to know if Command Beacon is good. Like, what I heard initially was, this is a card that can make Phage playable as a general. Is this a <laughs> yeah. card that that's, like, for specific commanders, or do you just play this in any deck because the ability to put a commander from your command zone into your hand is that good that just every commander deck wants that?
1: Um, yeah, well, there's certain decks that certain generals that you can't play from your command zone. Um, for example, if you play Phage from your command zone, she has a triggered ability that if you didn't play from your hand, you just lose the game. So <laughs> a lot of like the, the, the few people, dozens of people who play Phage worldwide, <laughs> um, they'll, they'll do, they'll do stuff like Torpor Orb and stuff like that to get around it so they can play Phage and then kill you with Phage. It's more like the Brownie Points and Bragging Rights. It's pretty awesome. Um, but this gives you another a way to play Phage or play like Harkon, um, and other niche generals. But another thing about Command Beacon is for Voltron decks that really depend solely on playing your commander and having a commander on the field. Um, if your commander keeps dying over and over again, the commander tax keeps adding up. You have to pay two more each time it went to the command zone. So at some point, it's going to just get impossible to replay it with your mana. So Command Beacon lets you put it into your hand, then you can play it just for its regular cost and circumvent the ridiculous command tax you would have to pay yeah, for Yeah, it's it.
0: kind of like a reset button almost.
1: Yeah. So I wouldn't put it in every deck, but decks that really heavily rely on your commander or like the Phage, Harkon type decks. Uh, Command Beacons, amazing. But it's very niche. Which, again, I I love about the design about these new cards. They're very niche, but they open up these amazing new possibilities.
0: Nice. Um, I said we were going to move on. This is just kind of one last quick question. This is just more... It's not really like a financial question, but it's more of a... I guess the the design of each specific one of these commander decks. So... Is it surprising to you that we see cards like Blade of Selves and Command Beacon, you know, stuff like that, that you would feel like is more of like a universal card, um, you know, in the EDH format, only delegated to one deck? Like, is, is that, does that like kind of mess things up a little bit when you're going out and you want to acquire one for yourself?
1: Um, yeah, it could end up making that deck more expensive than the other ones. I don't think that's an intentional design on Wizard's part. Um I think sometimes they just misinterpret how powerful a card could be. Um also sometimes they'll they'll put in a card that accidentally becomes legacy playable. So I remember right. a True Name Nemesis had a problem. Yeah. I think it was a deck Mind Seize where everybody wanted to buy just that deck for that one card, that one blue card. And I guess that, that problem could have been fixed a little bit if they put True Name Nemesis in multiple blue decks instead of just Mindsees. Um, but I remember that made like the, that specific deck, um, cost skyrocket. Yeah. For that. I think they
0: circumvented that with the, I think they announced it with this
1: last previous commander set that
0: they're going to be pushing these out as like a sort of demand, like printed demand kind of thing, so they don't run into that problem again. So that's that's good. If everyone, if anyone needs true name nemesis or mind sees, I still got five in in my closet, so (laughs) (laughs) if you need any, (laughs) I'm your guy. But yeah, I understand. It it was good because you're right. Like it, it does kind of shift the balance of power to one of these sets but i think what they did with these they understand that if we do make that problem you know now we're printing these to a degree that you know there's not going to be like a shortage of any one particular set so i I think that's good Uh, i I just thought, thought it like kind of odd that sometimes they kind of include those types of you know just general equipment or like a land and it's only in one of the the one set rather than all of them. Like I can understand like the red confluence being in the red decks, but, um, you know, equipment in a land kind of seems like, Oh, that's, that might, you know, it should be better that they're in more sets rather than just one.
1: Yeah. Does strike me a little bit as odd, but I guess they figured, uh, it's kind of an interesting card, but not everybody would want it. So, right. You know, we'll just put it here and then we'll see how it goes.
0: Gotcha. All right. Um, yeah, that, that was really good. Thank you for enlightening us, uh, about that, Tomer. If you want to stick around, we are going to shift gears here. Um, that was, again, that was really awesome. Thank you for that, Tomer. Um, none yeah. of us are really, uh, well versed in EDH, so, uh, but, but this product is really awesome. And like I said last cast and, and earlier, it definitely seems like they hit their stride with this, and they're definitely drawing in a lot more players. Even Richard, uh, <laughs> for that matter, uh, with these, like, cool commander cards. So, it definitely, they're doing a good job.
1: Yeah. Uh, like I said before, open invitation for anybody who wants to play MTGO of me. <laughs> All <laughs>
0: what right. Always
1: a single budget deck. So. Yeah. Seth, Richard, there you go.
0: Um, so, yeah, let's switch gears uh, a little bit here. Uh, Richard... What, let, what, let, let's run down, uh, GP Seattle. This is your thing. Um, the first kind of large legacy event since the Star City games announcement. And for the most part, it was a success. I mean, there was a good turnout, a lot of people watching it, um, on stream. So, you know, let's, let's, uh, let's go over it. Yeah.
2: Seattle is a pretty strong, uh, legacy community. Uh, I think, uh, Card Kingdoms, F&M not FNM. So they had FNM with 110 people playing Legacy, but that was right before the GP. But they do a regular Monday Legacy, which I used to play in. Uh, This week's had 70. So the area is a pretty big uh, Legacy area. And, you know, everyone showed up for the GP. I think it was capped at 2,000 participants. So it was sold out. And it was capped at a very small number. I'm not sure why Uh, it was only capped at 2,000. But uh, I I went down there to uh, report from the loser's uh, half of the <laughs> tournament, you know. <laughs> I, thought, I thought I'd give you guys a different take on the coverage. Uh, no. Yeah. I just haven't been playing a lot of Legacy recently. There's not a lot of Legacy where I am right now, and I think I played a total of, like, eight matches before the GP. <laughs> and as expected, uh, when you don't play Legacy for a while, you get smoked by grand <laughs> that you don't remember or don't know. Uh, I was talking to Chaz. I played Food Chain, which I've never played against ever, apparently. <laughs> And I thought it was Bug Delver until I just got, like, wrecked. <laughs> <What> <laughs> those, Bug Delver. <laughs> those damn
0: four-mana 3-3 three, three flyers, you know? <laughs> but it was pretty fun. Uh,
2: GPs are getting quite big. Uh, the artist area is really big now. Uh, when I look, uh, there are, there's a ton of vendors. And there was a lot of money there, right? If the average person had a $3,000 deck, <laughs> there were 2,000 people there. Uh, there were a lot of dual lands and reserve list cards in attendance, so... Uh it was actually pretty interesting and uh, a lot of people were hyped uh you know we say legacy is dying and it is but even though it's dying it's still fairly large right now right so right there were a lot of people there were a lot of new players a lot of new players testing out the format there i met a lot of people that were playing for the first time or they just recently started playing and then of course there were the people with the 100% pimped out legacy decks uh i saw one guy with expeditions <laughs> But most people had the original, um you know, the original fetches foiled, uh, yeah. or, you know, all foreign black border duels and whatnot. Uh, so it it's very interesting. And I recommend everyone go see a Legacy event, even if you're not interested in the format, because it brings out a a different than usual type of Magic player, kind of like the most hardcore <laughs> like collector from like the 90s or something. They all come out and they open their binders and it's like, 20 pages of dual Lands, and you're like, what the hell is this? Right. It's very interesting.
0: Yeah, it definitely seems uh, people are still really like adamant about the format. They love, Legacy players love the format, and that's not going anywhere anytime soon. Um, the stream had a lot of people on it, um, you know, and, and people, for the most part, are very inviting and will answer questions. And then you got the people who were, you know, don't want... To admit that things aren't like as good for legacy as they, as they once were. And, you know, I, I kind of looked at the stream and, you know, I, I have my gripes because, you know, it is a format under fire and, and it just kind of sucks that, you know, you look at the stream and, and the quality wasn't that great. Um, but I mean, it didn't, it, it wasn't so bad that it took away from the format. It's just like, you know, you don't get the, <laughs> that many GPs for legacy uh that often anymore and you know it would just like be better if they really had some high quality just the quality of the stream rather and then just like really people who are interested in the format who are really going to be good commentators i mean when you have like dead air i was talking to you seth about this um a couple days ago off cast when you have like dead air on you know a commentating uh panel it's just not good because you know it you're watching a miracles match and you're, you're, you're seeing, um, utter latent and chapin, just to use an example. And, you know, there's a lot of quote unquote slow play and the commentators aren't really into it because, you know, there's, there's a lot of lag in between of what's like actually going on in the game and what they can actually talk about because, you know, there's so many top activations and then it goes to time anyway, uh, or turns anyway, rather. And, you know, just, I feel like if they, the, these these events aren't getting fired like there's not like five it, it, it's not like standard where you know we're getting force fed standard every uh, pro tour and GP that you know it would just be nice to have some really good um, commentators uh, quality of stream and just the quality of the matches I mean obviously you're gonna have to show miracles at one point but um, no for the most part I really enjoyed it and I I love watching Legacy and uh, congrats to Jarvis, you brought in lands. Uh, you're, not, you're not too keen on lands, Richard, but uh, it was really awesome to watch it. I, I love lands. It's just yeah. like such a like, weird deck to watch.
2: Yeah, there were a lot of fair decks. Uh, yeah. I think combo decks were underrepresented or hated out. Um, Grixis Delver was very popular. Apparently they don't need Dig Through Time. Like, who cares, right? So they still yeah. played their deck without Dig Through Time. Uh, Shardless Bug. Uh, was pretty dominant. Same with Bug Delver. Um, so as expected, the black decks came back and black decks plus force of will was pretty much what everyone needed. And then you saw lands, which beats up other fair decks. Um, and you saw death and taxes, which beats up on miracles and of course miracles. Um, so, you know, I didn't see a lot of storm just walking around the top tables or just in general. Some sneak and show sitting around some reanimator, but for the most part, it felt like a fair meta and, uh, a Delver or a Shardless Bug.
3: Like, I don't know if you guys got to see the finals match, but it was Christian Calcano on Grixis Delver against Jarvis Yu playing lands, and it felt like Calcano was the most massive underdog. He was, like, spent multiple turns dazing, like, graveyard spells, or life on the loam. He spent, like, three turns in a row dazing life on the loam in, like, I don't know, submerging Merit Lang tokens, like, it just felt like he had no, absolutely no shot of winning that matchup. Like, if they played it a 100 times, he might win, like, five of them or something. Is it really that bad, or did it just look bad in the finals?
2: Uh I don't know the exact matchup, but I'm going to say it's pretty bad. Lands is, like, <laughs> it, it specializes in beating fair yeah. decks, right? And especially, like, creature-based decks. Uh, the only way you can hate it out is like a rest in peace or something like that. Like you need to remove their graveyard and keep it removed because, you know, like they're, they're playing cards like Mox Diamond and Gamble and things like that just to like throw cards in the graveyard and get back later with Loam, Punishing Fire and things like that. So it's, they, they basically get infinite cards, right? All of their lands are cards, right? So, <laughs> yeah. That in itself is a problem. And, you know, they, they have a combo win out of nowhere with, um, Dark Depths and, you know, they have the utility. With uh, crop rotation, you know you can get a maze of ith, a Pendlehaven, Haven, a wasteland. You can get whatever you want. So it's a very resilient deck. And the way you beat it is just to combo it out quickly or remove the graveyard, which is actually a bit hard because they actually run Abrupt decays and things like that. But uh, you know, a, a deck like Bug, I don't think has a chance. You hit them with like him to Torak, and they're like, okay, whatever, <laughs> right? You know, like, cool, I want to do <laughs> yeah. that anyway, right? Like, there's, it's just, it's just yeah. not a good matchup. <laughs> Now, now Richard, we,
0: I mean, over the course of this podcast, we've gone through plenty of legacy tournaments. We've talked about legacy a lot. Now, is this just kind of like, I mean, any legacy deck can, can top, you know, any kind of GP or do well, uh, make it like a top eight run. Was this like just for lands in particular, the deck, was this just kind of like perfect things lining up that he maybe dodged the miracles or dodged the reanimator matchup that would have really been a bad matchup for him?
2: I mean, I mean, to win the tournament, you got to dodge bad matchups and draw. Right. You know? But gotcha. I, I think it, it was a good meta for lands because it was mostly fair decks. Gotcha. And lands specializes in beating up fair decks. Um, I I don't know why Jund is called the deck. You know, the king of fair decks. I'm pretty sure lands is actually the the best like fair yeah. deck to, to play other fair decks. Um, but you know, if the meta was all you know storm and like turn one combos and like people playing Belcher for some reason, you know, lands would not have a good time. But everyone's playing Childless Bug, Miracles, uh, you know, things like that. So, you know, Land specializes in beating up those decks. So it, it was a good meta call, and I'm sure Jarvis played tight the entire tournament, and he probably had some, you know, good breaks and some good draws and things like that as well.
0: Yeah. Martin uh, Goldman Kirst played Aluren, and that's not a deck that we see too often. Uh, was that just another meta call, or is that actually something that is kind of, you know, always... There, you know, always trying to get in on the action, kind of thing, outside looking in kind of deck. Yeah, like the I you know no the idea. tier one point five two. I have no idea what it's <laughs> good
2: matchups are. It's just one of those decks that you know it can win. It's like like I said, like food chain. Like it's just these weird decks that can win. Yeah. Right, and you know you get enough good matches in a row, you can take down a tournament. Um, so whether that that's a good meta color, I don't know because I don't have enough experience with the Aluren, But a learn's always you know kind of been there and and sitting around and I've been told to learn is the better version of food chain. So, uh, right. so that as well. <laughs> so I, I, I don't yeah. know.
0: Um, Seth, I mean, Richard, you were actually at the, uh, at the tournament. Um, I'm just going to ask you a question, Seth. I don't know. Did you watch the tournament at all?
3: Uh, I saw a decent amount of it on Sunday in the top eight and a little bit on Saturday.
0: Yeah. So let me ask you like, just as you know, there's been a lot of, I guess the format's been kind of under fire with, you know, the SCG announcement. But I mean, again, it was a good turnout, a lot of people watching. What are, what were your thoughts as just someone like me who's watching the stream and just trying to watch Legacy? Cause I know you watch Legacy a lot. Um, Richard, you were there, so you kind of don't get the experience of people watching it on stream. Um, did you kind of get that, that feeling, like I stated earlier, like I, I got that feeling that, you know, the stream quality and, and stuff like that. Like um, what, what are your thoughts coming into it?
3: Well, as far as the games itself, I love Top and I love Miracles, so that end of stuff doesn't bother me like it bothers some people. Like, I can watch people resolve Sensei's Divining Top like every turn for 20 turns, and that's entertaining for me because I just love that card in that deck. The problem is Channel Fireball just isn't all that great at streaming magic events. Like, if, if you stack them up against... Star City games, the, there's a very noticeable difference in not only the actual stream quality itself, there's just some odd choices. It's hard to tell like who, where the game's at, who won the first game in a match. Sometimes they had like the split screen where they just focused half of your screen was focused on the two commentators who were obviously like looking down at their own computer screens instead of having the whole screen be devoted to the match. So there were some weird things like that that were kind of problematic. And maybe it's just that I like the SCG guys, but part of what magic isn't a great game for streaming. There's a lot of downtime. There's, it's just an awkward game to keep people's attention in. But Star City Games can get away with that, because with Cedric and Patrick, they have this great, like, synergy, and they work so well together, and when there's some dead time, someone's, like, cracking a joke, or they're laughing at something each other said, plus they're really knowledgeable about the game itself, and... The channel fireball commentators, while they're great players, I love William Huey Jensen. He's one of my favorite Magic players, but yep. he's not he's not an engaging commentator in this engaging personality where I can watch Star City games just because Cedric and Patrick are really entertaining to watch. I would probably watch them just if they were talking about random stuff because I enjoy their commentary. You didn't really get that with the crew that was broadcasting this weekend for the most part, with the exception being Ian Duke, who is legitimately a very good commentator, and I would watch. Him every weekend, like he's he's very good at what he does.
0: Yeah, I agree. Yeah, and you know it's it's kind of all these little things. And like I said, like I love Legacy, but you can kind of understand like where people are coming from or get frustrated. Like the, the matches, people love watching Legacy, and and I do too. The games are great. It's just like those little things, like you know now we're down to just X people streaming Legacy now, and Star City kind of dropped it. So you would kind of expect like, all right, like. You don't have to focus on it that much, but when you do, let's, like, make it really, like, let's just make a really good quality stream with good commentators who are really invested in Legacy. And, you know, sometimes it just sucks because Legacy is a good format, and you don't, you know, it's just unfortunate because the, the stream sometimes and the commentators take away from that. Uh, like, like you said, it's just there is a significant drop-off to who's covering the format,
2: you know? So were they not explaining lines of play? Because, like, you can talk for 30 minutes about a brainstorm, right? So, like, why, why no, was there yeah. so much uh, dead space? Like, were they just
0: well, I think, not knowledgeable
2: you know, of the format? Or was it they were explaining the wrong lines of play? Or they were not explaining anything? And it was, like, too hard to follow as a new player.
0: Right, and this is not a knock to any of them. It just, you know, not a lot of lines of play were really uh, discussed. Like, when I was watching, I didn't watch it as much, like as I would another stream, I just didn't get a chance to watch everything. But when I did watch, like, it, it was a little bit better in the top eight, but like, as we were going along, I mean, how much time can you talk about like a top activation, you know, like when it's going on every single turn and the person sitting there and waiting and looking, and it's almost getting to the point of a slow play just to realize they, you know, just going to force a will something, you know, like, it, it's just, there's not a lot to talk about after a while. And, uh maybe that's just top in particular, I know um Willie Edel tweeted out like you know top is just not great to watch, and you made the point set to say like magic is like that game sometimes that it's a little awkward to watch on stream uh because there's so many things going on, triggers, and there's like just lag and between stuff going on but you're i I don't know Richard, it just seemed like. The format wasn't explained well enough that new players can watch Legacy and say, oh wow, like, what's this format? This is really good. Like, at one point they were referring to Utter Layton as his MTGO name. I mean, I don't, and, and I, like, for five minutes didn't know what the hell they were talking about. Like, <laughs> who the hell is Raptor? Like, I, like, who's Raptor? I mean, I don't even know who the hell they're talking about. And then I finally realized, well, one of them has to be Raptor. It's not Chapin, so I guess it's utterly So, all right, I guess. You're, you're
2: like, where's the Deathmiss Master? I don't yeah, I'm
0: like, what the hell is Raptor? And they were like saying it multiple times, like, again, just assuming people know what they're talking about. Now, again, if you were a legacy, like, really invested in a legacy, you would probably know that or something like that. But I didn't. So, you know, it, it's just – those little things that just add up to, and you can just look back and see, well, maybe this is why Star City Games kind of dropped it because it's a little hard to incorporate newer players into stuff like this, especially when you're referring to stuff that no one knows what's going on. Yeah, just to add to
2: that, like I, I think Seth's correct. Like people need to figure out the SCG secret sauce and, <laughs> yeah. and get it onto the streams. Like I started playing Legacy because of SCG. You know, I was watching uh, the Legacy opens. And I remember they had this really cheesy segment where they tried to copy, like, an ESPN segment,
1: where they had,
2: like, um, Jerry Thompson and Brad Nelson or something in, like, really terrible suits against a blue screen, and they're like, okay, your opponent's playing Rugged Elver. uh, they play Island Ponder, pass, you have Wasteland, do you turn one Wasteland them? And they debated for 15 minutes what the play was, you know, in a back-and-forth ESPN segment, and it was incredibly cheesy, but it was very engaging. Right, and they fill yeah. the dead time with that, and I'm like, wow, this format is so deep. You gotta think so hard, and they actually have legitimate points and counterpoints. And you know, of course, you know Cedric and uh, I'm blanking. Patrick Edric Sullivan, yeah. <laughs> uh, they they always go back and forth, and you know, they always joke about uh, you know brainstorm, and you know, they always talk about goblins, and you know, they always bring up random anecdotes to fill up the time. And you know, you know, I know far more about wrestling than I should. Right, <laughs> and you know, I know so much about the local Cleveland sports scene that I don't know why, right? But it's because of things like this, and it makes it very engaging, right? Yeah. And that somehow led me to playing Legacy and blowing all my money,
0: right? so, <laughs> Yeah.
2: So I, I think you know they gotta kind of get that secret sauce on the other streams and the other coverage, and then I think Magic could be in a very good spot. Yeah. Uh, one thing I did want to bring up, which is very interesting, uh, was counterfeits at the GP. So apparently, yeah. some people got DQ'd for having too many counterfeits, right? So if you got if you got deck checked and you had too many counterfeits, you were uh, DQ'd. Uh, I heard a judge uh, speaking with a bunch of other judges about a particular deck that had one counterfeit in it, and when they asked the the person, they're like, oh, "I just got it off of eBay. I don't know." And it was only like a, a twenty thirty dollar card or something, so they allowed him to run to the vendor and buy uh you know a version of that card. Gotcha. Because they, they felt, you know, there were more expensive cards in his deck and uh, they weren't counterfeit. So it was probably an honest mistake. Um, but if you look like you were blatantly using counterfeit cards or you had too many, apparently you were just DQ'd. Uh, so that, that was a very interesting situation, right? I was, you know, like...
0: It all goes back to what we said that other cast. See? <laughs> it, it, you, get, you start playing too many... And th- there you go. You got to get to that threshold.
2: I mean, if you, if you if you are actively doing that, you deserve it. But I feel bad for the person <laughs> that bought a playset of something and they didn't know it was counterfeit, and they've been playing it for six months. And right. They're like, yes, the biggest event of the year, and they come to the GP, and not only do they find out their cards are counterfeit, they also get DQ'd and don't get to play.
0: Yeah, that That's sucks. Cool. Especially if it was like a stupid card, like Cabal Therapy or something like that,
2: like some some low
0: level like you know, card, but I mean, in this instance, it was $30, but that makes sense. I mean, if he's playing a deck, one card is suspect, then yeah, I think that was a good call to, uh, or let the player rather guy or girl uh, go and buy the actual card.
3: From a and vendor. and yeah. I know that the one that was announced on the mothership, the player admitted they were counterfeits, and he knew that they were counterfeits, and knowingly played a deck uh, with counterfeits, uh, okay. so so I know that the one that was announced publicly that I read about, that it was intentional, it wasn't like this guy just accidentally bought him off eBay, he did it on purpose, so...
2: <laughs> like, typically i get zero warnings at a gp but in legacy you rack them up quite quickly and i don't know what the threshold is before you, uh you get the game loss or you get kicked out but well
0: apparently um from what like people were saying on stream and just via social media, if they weren't calling slow play in that utterly shaping game, then you just should, you just should not call slow play so, at all. Slow play
2: is okay. I mean, slow play, uh, you can figure out, but a lot of people will draw the wrong card or fail Ooh. to maintain board state. Like, I did that twice. You know, you like, I'm light and tutored. I put the card I wanted on top, uh, on top of my deck. My opponent went to read it and then I just drew from the top of my deck. <laughs> so I drew the wrong <laughs> card. Right? And it's like, oops. Right? Or you fetch the wrong land and you cast a spell with mana, but with the wrong colored mana, and you don't notice it. Right? Like, there's a lot more opportunity for subtle mistakes in Legacy. So I hope no one on stream was, like, calling for cheaters and stuff like that. Like, I can see how after, you know, 12 hours of magic, you know, you might confuse your brainstorm for a ponder or your ponder for a brainstorm, like, yeah yeah, quite often. Especially with things like Thalia and Ethersworn Canonist and, um, what's the other one? Spirit of the Labyrinth? Like, Mm-hmm. All those things on board, you know, you just go through your automatic motions, and then you you just violated the game state, and either lose the game or get a warning.
0: So a quick a quick side, you mentioned Thalia. Uh, I, I noticed Patrick Chapin was running Painful Truths. I don't know if you saw that stuff.
3: I did see that, yeah,
0: yeah. And I, and I asked the question. I was like, well, why are you running Painful Truths over a card like Knight's Whisper? I thought it was like a pretty pretty legitimate uh, question. I was going to ask you too, Richard. Uh, but in you mentioned Thalia. It actually works again, like for you, in yes. the fact that the you extra can now. <laughs> yeah, you get the extra mana, but you can also draw an extra card. Yep. So I thought that was really interesting, but I mean, I don't know, like if that was specifically the reason, like, oh, I'm playing painful truths. In case that, you know, that Thalia, that damn Thalia, shows up. Who was Chapin playing. playing
2: that had painful truths in it?
0: He was playing painful truths.
2: Yeah, but what was his deck? Uh, Esper something. Oh, Esper. Like Esper?
0: It was, yeah, Esper mentor splash green because he played uh abrupt decay, right, Seth?
3: I believe so, yeah. Interesting.
0: Yeah.
2: All right. So it was,
3: yeah, it was, was really in the interesting. card eternal playable.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Painful <laughs> truce. It's but it, no, I mean the answer really wasn't I, I guess it's really it comes down to being that simple. I was like, so yeah, again, why are you um you know, why are you playing Painful Truce over a card like uh Knights Whisper and they're just like you just draw an extra card for one more mana? I mean that that was literally like the explanation. I was like, okay, <laughs> three mana, three cards, two mana, two cards. Okay, you, I guess we're playing painful truths. Like, I don't know. I just felt like maybe like you know maybe you know they didn't really know about Night's Whisper. Or they didn't really. No, I mean, you know, is it Night's Whisper just signing blood? Uh,
3: yeah, yeah but it's, it's one it's, black. Yeah, it's one generic one black. The, the one card so, actually
2: I matters,
0: I think. Yeah, I mean, I'm I mean, I
2: sure has been playing long enough, it is a good enough deck oh, viewer that he knows about the two round, a two draw. Oh, I black right?
0: So <laughs> no, I, I just figured like maybe three life loss is just maybe a little too much or something. I don't know. Apparently it worked out. I don't know.
3: Speaking speaking of knowing cards, before we switch off of Legacy, I got a, a little game for you. I want to see how well you guys know your coin flip cards. <laughs> So okay. Ben Brenner uh, showed up with this $113 coin flip deck to the GP. I don't think he won many matches, but it, looks, <laughs> but it looks very interesting. So I have three cards here that are four ofs in his deck, and I want to see if any of you can tell me what these cards do without without looking them up.
0: Well, so, I remember your tweet, so I guess that's, like, kind of cheating, but
3: well, uh, I sp- know
0: Stitch... I know stitching time.
3: Okay, first one, Carrick's Thumb. What does Carrick's <laughs> Thumb do?
0: It's like a two-mana artifact from Marodin Block, the first Marodin Block. Like, if you were to flip a coin, you could re-flip the coin? Something like that?
3: Yes. You if could you would, redo do it? If you would flip a coin, you can instead flip two coins and choose which flip you want to use.
0: Yeah, there it is.
3: But it gets it gets <laughs> better. That was the easy one. Next, <laughs> n- next we got Fiery Gambit. I'll give oh you my a- god! I'll give you a hint. It is two in a red for a sorcery, and it is a rare from the original Mirrodin.
0: Yeah, so that's from Mirrodin too. Oh man, I think it's like flip a coin x amount of times, and for every coin that comes up tails or heads, like you deal one damage or something like that.
3: This one's this one's great. Flip a that coin. That one's hard. Flip a coin until you lose a flip or choose to stop. <laughs> if you lose a flip, it has no effect. If you win one flip, it does three damage to a creature. If you win two flips, it does six damage to each opponent. If you win three or more flips, you draw nine cards and <laughs> untap all your lands. <laughs> draw <Okay>. nine cards... <laughs> And and finally this one, this one I don't even know if I can make sense of what it does because it is very old. I I think this is Ice Age Game of Chaos. This is a I have no idea. Triple Red Sorcery. All right, this one, let's see if we can understand it. Flip a coin, target opponent calls heads or tails while the coin is in the air. I'm, I'm glad they put that on there in case you didn't know how to flip a coin <laughs> back in the If you called it before you
2: flipped it, is that like, <laughs> a, 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 like a game state violation <laughs> or
3: If the flip ends up in your favor, you gain one life and that opponent loses lo- one life. Otherwise, you lose one life and your opponent gains one life. Effects to prevent or redirect damage cannot be cannot be used to counter this life loss. The winner of each round... She decides whether to continue double the stakes in life each round.
2: Oh, okay. <laughs> okay, Just, okay. I didn't know there was such a complex card in Ice Age.
3: <laughs> yeah. So this, these were the four ofs in the coin flip deck that he brought to the Legacy GP.
2: I wonder if someone won a game off that card alone. Like he just played <laughs> on turn three and they flipped coins till someone died. Yeah, <laughs> it's like be awesome. Okay, Gain twenty, deal twenty. All right, this is where we're at.
3: <laughs> I mean, if you got a Carrick's thumb in play and get to pick which coin you want to use, this seems possible.
0: Yeah, and if you just keep winning, you can keep it going. So.
2: This sounds like he brought an EDH deck to Legacy. <laughs> is, yeah. this, is this a thing? In the
0: uh, yeah, I'm not. A, I'm not. A, yeah, like said, said. I'm. Not, I'm assuming he didn't do that well, which is actually kind of weird because isn't like the GP cost like
3: seventy dollars or something? That's what some, someone said. He spent as much on the GP as he did yeah. on the deck.
2: It costs sixty if you pre-registered. So. Oh man! You, you actually got a lot of sweet stuff. You got the double-sided Delver mats. Yeah. You got some sleeves, the deck box per usual. Uh, you got a Grizzle brand promo. Oh, alright. So, that was like we're 10 still, bucks. <laughs> we're still on that one? Apparently we are, because I have like three of them or something right now. <laughs> Apparently I've gone to that many GPs.
0: Yeah, I, I thought we were moving on from another one. I don't know. But I guess, yeah, still Grizzle. Um, but yeah, yeah, Richard, good, uh, thanks for, for, uh, cluing us into that, to that legacy event. Again, it was really good to close like, you know, just a pain sometimes to see, like, such poor representation of Legacy when it's such a great format. I mean, I know I love Legacy, so contrary to what anyone <laughs> believes. You <laughs> love Legacy,
2: but you don't play it.
0: <laughs>
3: yeah. Um, so, and, you sp- I guess... and you spend your time trolling Legacy streams, apparently. <laughs>
2: yeah, apparently. <laughs>
0: um, moving on, uh, let's just uh, do the financial stuff real quick, Seth, and then we have some fish mail, and then we can wrap it up.
3: All right. Looking at the weekly changes for standard, not going to go through the whole list. Going to focus on the big ones. Ugin, up fifteen percent to thirty-five bucks. Silk up eleven percent to two thirty-five. Uh, Secure the waste up five percent to four twenty-seven. Then we have Shrine of the Forsaken Gods up thirteen percent to a whopping sixty-nine cents. And then just a bunch of other 1% type changes, nothing major. On the loser half, Drana still dropping like a stone down 10%. Uh, undergrowth champion following suit down 11% to 618. Jace ticked down a bit to 70 bucks down 5% and Gideon down 4% to 36.
0: Yeah, uh, I think the, the big thing to talk about here, I mean, just to go through briefly the, the losing side, that, that all kind of seems like, A lot of the pro tour hype and the, and the, and, and that, all that is just kind of cooling off now. Uh, so that's kind of normal that we see that drop and even in the staple stuff. Uh, in terms of the battle for Zendikar specifically, you mentioned Drana undergrowth champion. I mean, obviously there's a lot of product being opened. Uh, those cards aren't seeing as much play as originally thought. So they're dropping like rocks. Um, on the gainers, Ugin's a big one because, uh, it's a really, with the rise of these rise of Eldrazi, <laughs> uh <laughs> shitty pun, but um, <laughs> um, these ramp decks, I mean, Ugin's like a four of in that deck. It's a, a very like big part of the strategy of that deck is to be ramping up into a card like Ugin. It also sees some play in modern uh, in these Tron lists. So it's not a big surprise that it's kind of going up before uh, rotating because it does see that uh, increased play in modern. Uh when it does rotate I, I I have to assume that it's gonna come down a little bit because see as a two of and in, in Tron, I mean, it doesn't just seem like a forty dollar card or a thirty-five dollar card.
3: Yeah, I I don't think it'll crash like cards that don't seem right. to play, but it, I think it will decrease a bit when it rotates uh this spring.
0: Yeah. Um uh, Silk Rap, I'm like, that's that's like a that's like better than most rares right now. <laughs>
3: Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a really important card in the format, though. It is, uh, the best two mana removal spell, I think.
0: Yeah, and I don't see that going away anytime soon, uh, especially after rotation because, um, of the implications with the Eldrazi and removing them from the game, like clauses, like a, uh, Wasteland Strangler, uh, comes to mind. So, the, probably the pro- gonna, yeah, go ahead.
3: Oh. Oh, actually, what set is that from? Maybe I'm mistaken. I was thinking that was from Cons. Oh, it is from Dragons. Okay. Yeah, it's from Dragons, yeah. Yeah, so I, you're right. I don't think that that is going to drop uh, until, I guess, this summer it'll rotate, or next fall. So I think you're good to get your silk wraps now, because they're going to be important in the format moving forward.
0: Yeah, it's going to be like the new uh, Stoke the Flames type of thing.
3: And Shrine of the Forsaken Gods is another one of those big ramp cards you were talking about, and it's still really cheap, but it is super important for those Eldrazi ramp decks, and it's starting to move above the bulk level finally. So
0: yeah, um, that coupled with uh, uh, Sanctum of Ugin, yeah, that's the one, right? Yeah, I mean it was it's 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 one of those little good like penny stock things that you can move through a buy list, you know, and pick up some value there. Uh, definitely, with the increased amount of ramp that we 're seeing uh at philly um it was a abzan agro parade in the top four, but there were some key finishes uh from ramp decks and they 're cheap for the most part so uh these cars going over a dollar doesn 't even make a dent in the overall price either um so modern seasons coming up soon also um And right at the top of the list, Crucible of Worlds leading the way uh, for weekly changes. Uh, We see some cards like Protean Hulk with the recent good finish with the Protean Footsteps deck. Uh, A bunch of uh, Affinity stuff. So, I don't know. Is is Crucible of Worlds more of um, based around the new EDH stuff?
3: I am not sure what's going on with Crucible. I mean, I know it hasn't been reprinted in a while, but it doesn't really see play anywhere in competitive formats at least not consistently yeah it's like a, yeah, it's like a
0: fringe one of those fringe like cards like in a sideboard somewhere and like aggro loam or something but no it's not like a predicated four of so any deck.
3: i don't really know why that's increasing so much unless it's just purely based on supply and uh random demand from edh and a little bit from competitive and just a combination of all those forces
1: yeah,
0: uh, I guess not getting reprint is definitely Reprint is definitely the driving factor here.
1: Hi, I can pop in again. Um, <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> so the two. Welcome two, back, Domer. Uh, <laughs> hey, everybody. Uh, <laughs> two of like the the coolest and most hyped um, commander generals happen to both be the black green ones, and they're very right. graveyard centric. And Crucible is really good paired with Life of Loam. It's also really good with Fetchlands and Rings of Brighthearth. Because um whenever you get a fetch land trigger to go get another land, you can use Rings of Bright Hearth to double that. And oh, then wow. you combine that with Crucible of Worlds, and you get this really crazy ramp engine that you can get going. Um, and it ties in very well to the black-green strategies.
3: Yeah. That makes sense. That does I mean, make sense. Yeah? And then what about Boundless Realms? Uh it is, Would that fit into that same category? Oh, that's
1: a awesome. that's a edh card right oh yeah i love that card um one of the most popular generals to come out of battle for Zendikar, oh by far actually um in terms of like what i've been seeing is omnath locus of rage and he has a really powerful landfall ability and balanced realms triggers like 10 plus landfall triggers so um it's a it's a staple in that deck and that's probably a big reason why balanced realms is going up
3: Ah, okay. That, uh, yeah, I guess that would be pretty crazy with the Omnath on the battlefield.
1: It's very popular these days. I see it a lot on MTGO. And stats like EDH recommendations, um, shows it's the most popular, um, currently.
0: Really? Hmm. Yeah. Oh, then that makes <laughs> a lot of and sense. The car, yeah. <clears throat> awesome. Um, so that kind of wraps things up for that. Um, anything else that we needed to touch on in terms of finance
3: stuff, Seth? I think we covered most of the big stuff. Oh, Cabria Evangel is decreasing. One of the recent buyouts thanks to Ally Hype in Modern. So that dropped down 24% this week. It probably won't go all the way back to bulk, but it probably will keep losing value. That's a card I mentioned in the newsletter this past week. The buy list prices, that's a really important way to judge demand for cards. You see these buyouts, prices triple or quadruple overnight but look at the buy list prices and see because that tells you if the big vendors actually think there's real demand for this card they're going to raise their buy list prices to make sure they have copies in stock when you see cabri evangel go to five or six dollars but stay at a dollar on buy list, that's a good sign that that price the retail price the sell price is going to start decreasing because mm-hmm. the vendors just aren't seeing demand uh for it yeah
0: um yeah, I agree with you. Uh, seems like things are status quo right now for, for the time being. <laughs> um, there were some little, there, like we said, there were some fluctuations, but nothing crazy, uh, that I saw.
3: Yep. Nothing, nothing major. City in the Bottle actually is the latest, uh, big buyout for old school. Up 63% to 80 bucks this week. So, worth mentioning that briefly, I guess.
0: Yeah, great. Um, hopefully, it seems like the the hype around the format is definitely waning a little bit, so hopefully that continues.
3: Yeah, sort of the Tiny Leaders thing. About the same time frame even, six or nine months, you get this hype, it builds up, and then either yeah. the format sticks it out and keeps heading up, or this is about the time uh, the hype dies down and it starts to drop off. So
0: Yeah, and I mean, at the same time, you have all these people playing this old format, and not a lot of people play it, just like Tiny Leaders. You know, and at one point, like you're sitting there with a city of the sitting in the bottle, and you know whether you paid twenty dollars for it and you turn around, you look online it's like eighty dollars now i mean you have a you have a situation, you have a um actual um decision to make, and more often than not, people are gonna sell, so I mean, I don't know if the format is really holding a lot of interest uh for players yeah,
2: I saw some people playing it at the g p but it wasn't. Uh, there wasn't an official side event or anything from it, right? But there were, a, you know, there were like vintage side events and things like that. But there weren't any old school magic. But I, I did see like random people just sitting around playing it. But right, that is to be expected when everyone there owns like old cards like that. <laughs> yeah.
0: Now, now, Richard, like you, you've mentioned this more, and it's great that you brought that up about people playing at the GP. It's it's definitely one of those formats that you play and it kind of loses its luster quickly, or or do you feel like you can keep repeatingly play this format?
2: So I've never played it, but I would imagine right. it's one of those things you play like a handful of times. Right. It's like, so. you know, it's probably smaller than standard. Like, how long can you play the same standard? Right. Right? Like, at some point, you've just seen all the decks and like, that's it. <laughs> right? So... Uh, my guess is a lot of people play it for nostalgic reasons, and they play a handful of times and they're satisfied. But maybe someone's like, you know, breaking the super into and, it, yeah, like hundreds and hundreds of matches. But well, I don't know.
0: Yeah, and and the reason I ask that is more for the reason that like it's not it's not going to hold your attention and your it's not going to hold its luster and value so long that you're going to keep wanting to play and spend $80 on a city in the bottle.
2: I would say it's probably like a flashback draft or something. Right. Like, you go to the GP, they have, like, some old draft format, and you might pay 50 bucks to buy it and play it, but you're not going to go home every weekend and draft, like, that format with your friends for the next year, I don't think, right? Like, it, it's a right. good format. You play it once in a while, um, and maybe some people will invest in it because... They like the collectible aspect. They just like owning these old cards. Yeah. right? Um, but, you know, I, I, I can't see there being like some crazy competitive scene and like, you know, a very advanced meta for this. Um, but uh, I guess you just have to see, see it play out. But I, I would think it's more of a one off thing.
0: Yeah. Um, all right. That kind of wraps things up. Let's uh, finish with the fish mail. Tomer, you're more than welcome to jump in here. And uh then we can sign off for this week. Um so Richard, let's have the fish mail. Uh it was a long one, so yeah. we're gonna kind of condense it. Yeah. But um
2: So it's this from was in the comments. Jerusatula online name. Uh so on the topic of making a modern plus format, uh since we have a new card frame in M fifteen, what do you think the chances are that we'll get a mega modern or a mini modern, including uh all sets printed since M fifteen? So a new modern, that's just M15 going forward. The mana base would include fetches and tangos. The carpool would keep growing. Um, so what do you guys think about you know s- splitting modern or making a-, a separate modern there?
0: Hmm. So yeah, we talked about this last cast. So Richard, you were in more of the camp of making a modern plus where you're basically taking all the good stuff from legacy and excluding the uh, reserve list stuff, right? And making it non-rotating.
2: Yeah, I don't know if I'm in that camp, but that's an intriguing idea of right. making a new legacy, basically, by aggressively reprinting the stuff you can reprint, like Force of Will, Wasteland, and then just removing the reserve list and somehow making new dual lands.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's a hard question because, I mean, the mini... I mean, splitting up modern, I mean, then you're basically just having modern and extended again, right? Like we had the extended format that didn't really work out too well because people were playing standard and it's a rotating format and people kind of understand that. And then they're like, all right, well, I get to get my, you know, use these cards for a little while longer and extended, but then they're just gone again. So it's like people don't really want two rotating formats. And that's kind of where extended fell off because, for a while, it wasn't rotating, and then they said, "Okay, we're going to make extended rotate now." And then they're like, "Well, screw it, we're making modern, so you know we don't even really need extended anymore because modern is not going to rotate."
3: I I don't know if we need an in between format, honestly. Like, is uh, do we really need like standard is well what eighteen months now, two years traditionally. Modern goes back ten, twelve years at this point. Do we really need a four-year format, like a double standard or even like a triple standard? Is Do we need another competitive format? I mean, you can play these things. You can set them up at your local game store if you want to and run a tournament with any rules that you want. But do we really want GPs and pro tours of yet another weird format?
0: Yeah, I mean, to answer the question, I would still kind of stick to um what richard said and i kind of think that's a little more intriguing because i mean it it wouldn't it wouldn't be bad in terms of what you said seth because we would get more exposure like adding that on because i mean legacy at this point is not really a huge concern but if we had another format that isn't really held up by all these reserved list cards and you know they can reprint the cards like force of will wasteland the cards that are not on the reserved list um, I think that would draw more attention than trying to squeeze in a format in between modern and standard just to keep standard cards alive a little bit longer. I don't know. That doesn't really make too much sense.
3: The thing is, though, how different would that format be from modern? Wouldn't that basically be modern, but you make Force of Will and Wasteland legal?
0: Well, yeah, I mean, well, that's yeah, basically... Basically, <laughs> basically yeah. Legacy was like...
3: <laughs> well, it's like the new Legacy, yeah, pretty much. But no I mean, spin, right? but those big decks that we see aren't really... Like, could you play them? Like, if you look at the Legacy format now, like, so much stuff is on the reserve list. Aren't you? Aren't we going to be missing out on what makes Legacy, Legacy? But most importantly, the dual lands? Yeah, you're, you're, I'm pretty
2: sure you're right. I'm pretty sure it would not actually work. <laughs>
3: but I think, yeah. like,
2: that would be more intriguing of a, of an idea to explore. Um, the, the reason why I don't think this idea uh, has as much momentum is because it's kind of like block constructed, it serves yeah. no purpose, because the feel of the format will probably feel just like standard um, like I think modern feels a bit like standard, but at least modern doesn't rotate, um, but now right. if you have this format and standard why would you play one versus the other, right? If both are going to rotate um, you, know, you might as well just play standard, and if you want something that doesn't rotate, how about you just go all the way and go to modern, and I would think those three formats would kind of feel the same in terms of how they play. So I don't see the point. I think that's what Wizards concluded with block-constructed. Like, why play block-constructed You could just play standard? Right. kind of the same, right?
0: And and the reason they got rid of Extended, too, because that's exactly what it would have been.
3: I mean, for me, the simpler solution is to take those specific cards from Legacy and reprint them so they're modern-legal, because I don't think we need all the Legacy cards to have an eternal format so much stuff is on the reserve list but you could take 10 important cards like wasteland force of will uh some other stuff i'm not thinking of and somehow put those into modern and you would have sort of a uh, a legacy light that would be a true eternal format and feel more like legacy than it than modern does right now so that would be probably my my way to go about it is just make modern more like legacy instead of creating an additional format
0: well that is a good avenue but i think the way Richard proposes just a little easier. So you don't really have to do that. Cause again, where are you going to reprint them unless you make a box set? That's like, okay, these are new reprints from, you know, legacy or whatever, like force of will and stuff that we're going to introduce in a modern. So we don't have to go through standard or because at the same time, you're still in, in, in modern, you're never going to get the onslaught block, the, the dark, you know, you're not going to get all these blocks and sets that, uh, just picking and choosing, you know, one of or a couple of those cards is not going to get the same feel of getting access to all of those sets and blocks.
3: But you're losing out on the thing is the reserve list covers a huge percentage of rares from all of those sets. So you're basically getting really unplayable, horrible commons and, and uncommons in a very small percentage of rares. So just doing non-reserve list legacy still isn't going to feel like legacy.
2: Hey, you take that back.
3: Wild <laughs> mongrel is a great common.
2: I <laughs> just and, put brainstorm in modern, force yeah. Yeah. No, no, and modern. Yes. fast. and Nimble That's it. nimble you, mongoose is,
0: is a great uncommon. Don't don't you dare
2: <laughs>
0: shit on Odyssey or, or any of those blocks.
3: You and your so green that, cards, Chaz. Well, I, hey,
0: you know circular logic. I mean threshold. <laughs> I mean you're you're. Again, yeah, I, it would be better to just like reintroduce Force of Will into modern and be like, okay, we're doing it this way. But I just feel like you're just missing out on so much history in terms of just the blocks and sets themselves that are never going to be part of well, modern yeah,
2: vintage. I mean, <laughs> like, like well, it's mean, yeah, true but, like I can play every card right. ever.
0: But you still run into the issue of reserved list. I mean, Wait. if you did if you did that with the new legacy, there's still like you know, Nemesis, Prophecy, uh, the Onslaught block, the, uh, Odyssey block. There's still plenty of decks and sets that, or blocks and sets that you get from doing that. Yeah. I don't
3: know. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's a good point. I just don't know how many of those cards, even the cool ones, are really legacy playable. Like Wild Mongrel, for example. I know Nimble Mongoose huh. sees, like, fringe play. Circular Logic doesn't play. Nimble Mongoose
2: is the cornerstone of a deck. <laughs> Well, yeah,
3: it's kind yeah. of trended down a bit, right? Isn't even some of the rug delver decks aren't mongoose decks. Rug delver
2: or Canadian threshold is still a deck.
3: <laughs> okay. It's as much
2: of a deck as a is, you know. So. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it any not may know. not be the best delver deck currently. in The meta game, but we'll see that. It's that's been great, around for a any, long time.
0: Any deck in Legacy is always just a deck, you know. is a deck. We us. have one one so, exception. Yeah, us. I don't know that coin foot deck. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, so hopefully that answers the the fish mail. Tomer, did you have anything to add or before we wrap things up? Uh, no, that pretty much covered it. All right. <laughs> well, <laughs> that about does it for this week's cast. Like we said, we went back to a longer cast. It was great to have you uh guest on here, Tomer. Thank you for Thanks, adding right. insight uh, on EDH. Yeah, anytime. Um, so. We're glad to have you on and uh do a real full length cast here. Um so yeah, that about wraps it up. Any last minute out the door things to say? Okay. So uh we will catch you all next week. This is the MTG Goldfish Podcast signing out.